Thank you for joining us. We got everybody in here too. This is awesome. If you're new with us, welcome. We say it every week. We believe nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. That the church today should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So wherever you're at spiritually, thank you for joining us. And we're actually going to address that concept this morning as a part of our six-week teaching series. We're in week three of uh, going through the book of Acts through our teaching series called Underground Jesus. We're looking at the underground movement of Jesus in the New Testament, not just what happens in a gathering like this, but actually out in the community throughout the week. And I believe God is doing something really unique right now in Indiana, spiritually reaching people for Christ in a way that maybe we haven't seen in a while. And if you haven't witnessed that, I want to talk a little bit about it this morning. But if you want to turn in your Bibles or power it on and and turn to Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, uh, we're eventually going to get into that. Now, uh, if you're new to the book of Acts, let me give you a little recap. So it starts in Acts chapter 1 with uh, Jesus appearing to the disciples. He had been crucified, resurrected on the third day. And then had a, a, he's going to, in Acts chapter 1, ascend to the right hand of the Father after he tells him to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Radical life change is about to happen. They're given the Holy Spirit to empower them. Uh, here's what I want to share with you this morning. I, I was preparing for this, and I realized like some of the stories that we take for granted, we think don't happen today, but they do, just like they did in the book of Acts. So if you thought we're studying the book of Acts because you wanted to look back and remember when God used to do stuff, I want to tell you you're missing the point. I've, I've got to witness God. Do you realize in the last two weeks we baptized 12 people? Only less than half of those were planned. We're baptizing more people at this service. I think there may be some people in the room right now too that again just may say, I, I got I to live for the Lord in my life and they're going to get in and get baptized in, in your clothes. The tank's warm, I think, this morning, so... Lucky you. What I want to tell you is that what we read in the book of Acts, when he says, go to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, Christianity will eventually just take off. And it's still happening today, thousands of years later. See, what happens next in the book of Acts is he, he, uh, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Jesus does. They give him the Holy Spirit. They preach. 3,000 people come to know the Lord in Jerusalem. The church is expanding rapidly. They are getting bold in their faith. They get thrown into prison for it. They get out of prison. They pray for more boldness. They say, we need to meet the needs of our community. Let's share resources with each other. And Ananias and Sapphira, they actually lie about it and they lie to God and they lose their life because God takes all this stuff real serious. And what happens next is they say, we still need to meet needs. So we're going to raise up these servants, these deacons. And one of those is this guy named Stephen. There's only seven original deacons in the early church. And what will happen is he will be stoned to death for his faith. And one of the guys who oversaw the stoning was this guy named Saul, or also known as Paul. And he's going to look on and approve of this. And then he's got persecution is going to break out that we read last week. And people, when the Christianity should have died and imploded because the enemy was winning the day, it actually God used that to expand it. And it goes from just in Jerusalem to being scattered. And the gospel's going to spread. And then what happens in Acts 9, which we named this church after, Mercy Road, Paul's on the road to Damascus. The guy, he's going up to Damascus to imprison people for their faith. And on the road, he encounters Jesus. 
radically changes his life. Nobody farther from God than Paul. He was overseeing the, the murder of, of Stephen. He is uh, taking Christians out of their home and imprisoning them for the faith. The most hated man by the Christian community, and yet he has his life radically changed. He goes on to write over 40% of the New Testament. He starts churches all over the Roman Empire. If God could do that in Paul's life, what do you think he could do in yours? By the time we get to Acts chapter 11, home base is going to move from Jerusalem to the pagan Gentile place of Antioch, and it will become the epicenter of church planting. Now, I want to tell you, all the radical change we're reading about, I told you it still happens today. Let me tell you about the man who was just leading you in worship, the tall man that was standing right over here. Eric Maitland uh, was in the fraternity house at IU that was known for some non-Christian things, including drugs and alcohol. He came to Christ with a number of other people, and that same fraternity house came to be known for its Christian Bible study happening there. He began to live on mission, and, and what happened was he started something called 2-8 Ministries that still today is reaching people all over the place. And this summer, they put together a tour along with the State Department to spread the good news of hope of those struggling with addiction, of, with alcohol or the opiate crisis. And some of you out there have helped them all summer long. They did these massive events spreading the hope that we have. All that happened because one person was loved by other people, even though he was far from God. Let me tell you about my friend, John Gammon. By the way, I'm going to mention some friends today. I did not ask their permission to share these stories. That's why we're friends. And John was somebody who spent many years in prison. And he found Christ there. And he began to live on mission to reach people far from God he begins to reach people in prison in partnership with that ministry. I share this this morning. And a guy at the 9 a.m. service sitting in the front row is like, he was my mentor in prison. We did time together. I didn't know he was going to even be here. And my question is, with that person in the front row, what's it look like to pass that on next? Next week, in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about our fourth movement maker statement to reach a million people for Christ in the state of Indiana before we die. We put a date on it, 2050. It's silly. There's less than 7 million people in the entire state. But we believe that revival can still happen today, and it's not going to happen from gathering people in one church building. It's going to happen in partnership with other believers and believing that God could reach people far from God, disciple them in a passionate relationship with Jesus, which is our mission statement of our church, not to grow our church, but to reach people far from God. And that's what I want to get into this morning. Let me tell you about my friend Ethan Fernhaber. He's kind of the polar opposite, and him and John are, are good friends. He was a wealthy business owner who kind of lived for the green, if you know what I mean. And he actually ended up uh, coming to Christ and saying, I don't want to live for that anymore. I want to be used by God with what he's entrusted me with to make impact. And now he's reaching people groups that are all over the place, re reaching uh, all different ethnicities, socioeconomic status, empowering people that normally don't get heard and saying, God, we want to see revival happen in our state. I want to tell you about my friend, Teresa Lee, at her second birthday bash. She had known about Jesus. She had been a Christian, but she recommitted her life to Christ and got baptized in a horse trough at her old building. That was not heated. She surrendered her life and, and, and got baptized, uh, and, and she, the last seven or eight years, has been ministering and leading people to minister to the homeless community in downtown Indianapolis. When you truly encounter God... He gives you passion and love and compassion for those who are far from him. And that's what I want to show you to get today. Are you ready to study God's word, church? Here we go. It says this in Acts chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 1. 
the apostles, which is just the sent ones, and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, according to the legalistic interpretation of the Jewish law, this was something they should not do. However, God wanted to reach people who were far from God, and so they went to actually tell the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. If you're like me, when I first picked up the Bible, I would read a word like Gentile. I'd be like, what in the world is that? It simply means people who are not of Jewish descent, but more to prevalent to, for us today, important for us today, is that it represented people who were not in God's family. These were the pagans, the bad people. And the church in Jerusalem with the good Christians hear about what's going on in Antioch, and they're like, I don't know about that. Not sure that we want that happening. I want you to keep that in mind because it gets really interesting. Once they get this concept of reaching people who are far from God, Acts 11 becomes the critical turning point, the explosive moment where the movement of Jesus begins to expand rapidly all over the Roman Empire. But it begins with getting the heart of God for those who are far from him. If you skip down to Acts 11.15, we're going to look at the second half here for the majority of our time. It says this, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, he tells them, as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? He's like, you remember we got the Holy Spirit and we used to not believe and God changed people radically. Like the same thing happened to them. And and who are we to stand in God's way? I want to tell you, I've been in ministry for over 20 years. I've seen some great, amazing Christians who desire to live righteous lives, who the temptation the enemy uses in their life is different than other people. He uses fear to convince them that if you reach people who are far from God, somehow their sin and all of their trauma will come in and pull people away from Christ, the very people they're trying to disciple and reach. And I want to tell you, like, we talk a lot about being a hospital for sinners, where you go to the hospital to get healing. It's not the morgue for sinners, amen? You don't go there to spiritually die and continue to act and behave the same way you've always lived. But because of the love you've received from Christ, you're going to begin to live differently. But I want to tell you this. Don't confuse that with God doesn't love people who are super far from him, who are in addiction, and they find themselves in sexual sin, and they find themselves in all kinds of ugly situations that he loves you more than he loves them. In Acts 11, they finally realize, who are we going to stand in the way of God? If he wants to go reach these people, we got to love them the same way we love anybody else. What happens in verse 18, and we're going to look at this again in a moment. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praise God saying, so then even to the Gentiles, the pagans, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Our mission statement as a church is we exist to see the already good Christians who behave well. No, that's not what I said. We exist to see those who are far from God, discipled into a passionate relationship with Jesus. I want to talk about that. Will you pray with me? 
God, wow, I, I, I thank you for those that are uh, coming in even now, God. And I know uh, this group actually showed up and made it to church this morning. And in our culture, people don't do that. I pray, Lord Jesus, that in the short time that we have, we might hear from you. We acknowledge your, the presence of your Holy Spirit. God, those of us who have even been Christians a really long time, soften our souls enough that we might hear from you this morning through your word. We dedicate this time to you. We love you, Jesus. We praise you and worship you. It's in your name we pray. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. You know, as I was reflecting on this in Acts 11, there's this moment where they begin to have radical life changes. It's going to spread all over the Roman Empire. And normally when I get into the book of Acts, I love get, like studying the story timeline and seeing what happens and the sacrifice of Christians that it took to actually see that kind of advancement occur. And, and I want to talk about that. I'm going to talk a little bit about it. But as I was reading Acts 11 this time, something different kind of hit me. The, the truth is, in Acts 11, they, they really know the heart of God in a way that they respond and begin to try and live the way that he desires in their life. And I realized the message I want to share with you this morning is a little different. I want to talk about getting to know God. Uh, let me tell you, uh, you know what it's like to get to know somebody. Well, I met my wife uh, a number of years ago in San Dimas, California. Many of you heard the story. I'm not going to tell it at length, but I'm standing in line buying candles. Uh, that's a whole other story. And I hear somebody behind me go, hey, we some kind of candle freak. And I turn around and it was not my wife. It gets even better. It was my, uh, her ex-boyfriend's mom, which is another side story. And we connect there in line. Next thing I know, uh, a month or two later, we begin to talk on MySpace. That leads to us getting together. And finally, after multiple times hanging out, I convinced her to go on a date with me. We went on a date. Within four months of that date, we were engaged because we knew each other really well at that point. <laughs> and then six months later, we got married. So I thought, man, four months of dating, six months later, I know her so well. We're married now. I, I know her, you know. And then we had our first year of marriage. And you get to know your spouse a little bit better in that first year of marriage, don't you? In fact, uh, we couldn't afford a great honeymoon, so we saved up for an entire year to so go on our dream honeymoon vacation to Paris, France, which sounds amazing, but we had to go uh, during the cheapest time in February when it was like 10 degrees outside. But we were in Paris, saved up all year, went there, amazing, and I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I'll never forget, it was like day two or three, we're standing in the Louvre, and uh, that's a giant museum in Paris. If you've never been there, most of it is underground in multiple football fields, the size of it. And we had just toured it for hours and we were in the lobby and I suddenly realized it was really cold outside and I had lost my hat somewhere in the Louvre. You don't seem very concerned about that. <laughs> I, I, looked at, I looked at Lisa and I was like, uh, I lost my hat in the Louvre and she had the same reaction you all had. And I was like, who is this woman? Who have I married? Do you know that is a very special hat? Multiple layers of thermal uh, uh, heat. It was keeping my head, sweat, head sweaty out in the ice cold. And I was like, I got to go find that thing. She's like, are you serious? We, we can get a new one like just down the road. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I leave my wife at like a, a great, thoughtful, well uh, prayed over husband. 
I left my wife for 45 minutes with like a million people in this giant place, in a place where we don't speak the native language. I went around and guess what happened after 45 minutes? I didn't find the hat and I came back and I found out new things about my wife. We know this about marriage, right? Like the beautiful thing of marriage, I love marriage because over time what happens, you learn the hard things and the, the good things and you grow and you get to know each other better and you will know that human being better than anybody else on the planet. And they will know you better than anyone else, either the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. But I thought now I'd really know my wife. Then we had children. After raising three kids, we learned a lot of new things. It's the beauty of relationships. And then I thought I knew everything about my wife. Then we had a global pandemic. Anybody learn new things about your spouse during that time? The, the beauty of relationships over time in a marriage is you get to know each other and you work through stuff and you know each other better. We know that's how relationships work. Could you imagine if I met my wife, went on a few dates and, and, and you know, like committed to her in marriage and then never got to know her anymore? Yet I, I'm convinced that most Christians who have started a relationship with Jesus, have prayed a sinner's prayer, invited him into their life, and then in the next 30 years, you don't know him any more than you did when you started. This morning's message is not making people feel bad, okay, about your relationship with God. It's a gut check, reality time for myself. I'm gonna talk about it here in a moment, but like, do we really want to know God? In Acts 11, the early church knew the heart of God in a way it transformed their entire way of thinking. Instead of these bad pagans, they began to see them as the very people God has provided for them to reach. And I want to show you what happens in the, that process. If you're here today and you want to get to know God, and I think you should, out through Acts 11, I want to give you three simple ways to get to know God. And the first one is this. God loves those who are far from him. I've already highlighted this, so I'm going to look at this quick. Remember verses 17 and 18? He's like, who am I to get in the way of what God wants to do? And then look at verse 18 again. It says, when they heard this, they had no further objections. And so they said, even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That God even loved the Gentiles and the pagans who were far from him and rejected him historically. The question I have for you today is, who are the pagans today? Look, I'm using that term not to talk about just Gentiles that are ethnically different than Jewish people, but to talk about the family of God, those people who are far from God that he loves just as much as he loves you and he loves me. I heard a pastor say this this week. If you want to love like Jesus, here's how you can assess whether you're doing that or not. Think in your mind, who are the three, like think of three different people who are the most perturbing, get under your skin, far from God, pagans that you can possibly imagine. They don't just vote differently than you, they vote wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like the ones who are really far from God. And then he said, look at your sphere of influence, your circle of relationships, and of those three people that maybe come to mind, how many of them do you see that you are in relationship with on a regular basis? And then you can assess how you love like Jesus did. Because he invited the pagans in, the hardest people to get along with, and loved them. I believe that the explosive moment for the Christian movement begins in Acts 11 because they actually get a heart for those who are far from God rather than judging them and keeping them at a distance. That there are people in your life right now who if they just saw the love of God 
that we read about here, it would transform them and transform their way of thinking. And in a world where we often want to push them away out of fear of what it might cause, that he asks us to enter in incarnationally to where they're at. If we're going to reach a million people for Christ, think about this. Think of how many terrible people you're going to have to love. Like that, That's where the rubber meets the road. That God loves those who are far from him just as much as he loves us. Number two, what I heard a pastor say this six or seven months ago, I have not stopped thinking about it. In Acts 11, we learned that God goes where he is wanted. God goes where he is wanted. If we invite God in, he, he's going to pursue you and pursue you, but he's not going to force himself upon you. In the end, he is going to go where he is wanted. Look what happens here in verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. Remember, this was a thing that the enemy could use to totally destroy the Christian movement. It should have scared them to death. But instead, because they scatter outside the city of Jerusalem, it's the very thing that puts the igniter fluid on the fire. And it begins to expand rapidly as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, places where non-Jewish people were, the pagans were, spreading the word only among the Jews initially in those communities. But look what happens next in verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks. Now, it's not talking about ethnically Greek people necessarily. It's talking about, in that culture, if you spoke Aramaic, it meant you were Jewish. But if you spoke Greek, you're not part of God's family. And a lot of part of the Roman Empire in the eastern part there often spoke Greek. And so they go there and they begin to reach the pagans there in Antioch, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Then look at this, verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them. Of all the places where the favor of God could reside, it was on the pagan city of Antioch with the non-Jewish people who should never have even heard the good news if some Jewish Christians had their way. In fact, because his hand and favor was with them, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they're like, I don't know about this. Barnabas, get up there and see what's going on. So Barnabas goes to Antioch, verse 23. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God had, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And look at it again. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. Time and time again in Scripture, when, when you see us having a heart like God to reach people far from him, God goes where he is wanted. And when he shows up, a great number of people come to know the Lord. My question is, if they would have never have gotten the heart for the pagan people in Antioch and the favor had never resided there, that it will become headquarters for the Christian movement and the epicenter of church planting within the Roman Empire in the decades to come. But it all started with them having a heart for those far from God and inviting God in because God goes where he is wanted. And here's the reality. I was going back over this last night. This is just last night. And it like hit me. How, how desperately do we want God here? How desperately do I want God in my home? How desperately do we want God at work? How desperately do we want God in our stuff, 
our finances, our time, our talents and abilities? How desperately do we want God in all aspects of our life? Because the truth is, when God shows up, don't you have just a little bit of fear that, oh, no, man, I'm going to have to, like, do something? <laughs> I have to, like, you know, behave differently. I don't have to talk differently, and then people are going to think things about me. So I just, I go to church, and I believe in my head, and I'm going to have salvation, but I don't really want to get to know him and be known by him, because then I got to, like, things got to change. I'm not making any judgment at anybody just acknowledging reality. In Western civilization, as we looked at last week, when persecution breaks out, the church expands rapidly. But where it can be easy to be a consumerist, complacent Christian, do we actually have a desperation for God where we say, yes, God, we want you here in our lives, in our mess, in our stuff. I want to know you and be known by you. Because God goes where he is wanted. You know, I was thinking about this Really, that was the heart when we first started the church. It was really messy, and we weren't very good at it, uh, but, but that heart was there. And, and we began to see people who were far from God come to faith and be discipled, and it was amazing. And I told you we baptized 12 people in a horse trough, and it was uh, the turning point at our second birthday bash. I've shared it more in the last couple years than I had, in, because as I get farther away, I'm like, did that, did that really happen? I feel like I have to keep saying it out loud to myself. In that moment, as we baptized 12 people in the horse trough and Eric played Amazing Grace on acoustic guitar, all of a sudden, uh, the end of, of all those baptisms, the last chorus, that building shook. I almost fell over in the tank and it wasn't an earthquake. I looked it up online. We asked the engineers to look at the building. Nothing wrong with the building. We still believe that the spirit of God in that moment, it shook the building because it was a critical time where this church just began to expand rapidly. And I believe he's still doing that today in our state. He's still doing it in people. But revival does not just begin outside. It begins in here. If it doesn't begin in our souls first, and look, we all come in here with stuff we don't want anybody to know about. If revival doesn't begin here, it's not going to happen anywhere else. How desperately do we want God because he goes where he is wanted and then it requires life change that comes with it. You know, we're all here in this building then because in that season, the church began to grow rapidly, Mercy Road, the first one, and, and we didn't have space in the little place we were renting and we were told we couldn't raise more than two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars $250,000. And we said we need at least 700000 for a down payment for a building. And, and we went, they told us two hundred, two hundred fifty in two years. And this church was figured out a way to raise $700,000 in two months to buy the building. And, and every, everything that's happened since, it took this knowledge that, God, we're not in this for convenience. We're going to inconvenience our lives because you go where you're wanted, and we want you first most desperately in our lives. And I look back at that critical moment, and I go, I don't know if we could do it again. I don't know. And then I thought, I literally had that thought, and then I thought about the Compassion Campaign for the last three years. And I thought about how now there are more Mercy Road people worshiping in other places than will even be here on the weekend. That Anderson, that launch team is growing rapidly all the time. They may have the biggest launch of a church we've ever had. I don't know. But it's like, it's incredible what the Lord does. He goes where he is wanted and a great number of people come to the Lord. So the question is, think of Matthew 9, verse 37, when Jesus said, then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers to the harvest field. To say, God, use me. To pray to the Lord of the harvest. 
that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That if we actually say, God, we want you here, we want to see revival, and it's going to begin here, and it's going to overflow into the lives of other people, give me that type of desperation. Give me a heart for those who are far from you. I want more stories like John Gammon and Ethan Fern Haber and beyond, right? To the Teresa Lees, the Eric Maitlands. There's more stories happening like that today that I don't have time to share. I don't want to tell you, some of you have been around Christianity a while. You've even sat in lots of church chairs before. But until that revival of your own soul occurs, you won't see the impact you were intended for. We come to places like this and we think if you came in here and you felt like an outsider, we come in here and we think like there's good Christian people here and I'm not one of them. I'm just on the outside. I hope I learned something in the process. I want to tell you you're meant for so much more than just to receive salvation in Christ. Yes, we want that for you. But you become a world changer, a difference maker. The Spirit of God lives in you. It lived in the pagans in Antioch the same way it did in the Jewish Christians. I know it can live in your life. Am I getting too excited? Because it's going to get worse. Sermon number three. Here we go. God loves those who are far from him. God actually is the one who uh, uh, goes where he is wanted. And then finally, number three, God transforms heathens into spiritual headquarters. What happens in Antioch, like you, you may have to picture a little bit, but I want, really want to drive it home. Look what happens next. Then Barnabas, so he's there to figure out what's going on. He's like, oh, yeah, these people are actually Christian. Cool things are happening. So then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Did you read that? The Christians are scared to death of him. Why is he going to get that guy? Well, two chapters earlier, he'd come to faith. He had spent years in the wilderness growing in his faith. And, and, and so he brings him to Antioch. And look what happens. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The Paul that was stoning Stephen, you know, overseeing the persecution of Christians is now teaching people who don't know about Jesus, about Jesus, and they're coming to faith. It's the radical life change that God could take a heathen and turn, turn him into a spiritual a warrior. And he will become the person to plant all these churches and make this radical life change. And Acts 13, we'll look at next week. He and Barnabas are going to be sent out, the first church planters, a part of this great church planting movement. But look what happens next. We often, uh, you may not realize this verse. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The pagans who were far from God, and they weren't even sure, we don't even know if we want them to know about Jesus are the first people who they call the little followers of Jesus or the Christ followers, the people who are going to pursue Jesus, where they first used the term Christian. And that's not all. Look what happens next. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. It says down because, not because it was heading south, but because Jerusalem is elevated. Verse 28, one of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Did you catch that? 
So the Jewish Christians were like, I don't know about these people, these pagans up in Antioch, that they can receive Christ. And then not only do they receive Christ, the, the, the good news of Jesus begins to expand rapidly. It's about to become the church planting epicenter. And then a prophet doesn't tell the people in Jerusalem. It tells the people where the favor of the Lord is because God goes where he is wanted in Antioch. He tells the pagans about a famine that's going to occur so that the pagan Christians up in Antioch will be the very one to meet the physical needs financially of the Jewish Christians that didn't even want them to become Christians in the first place. How incredible is that? And we have to stop thinking about that, that because your great-grandmother was a stalwart woman of faith, that somehow through reverse osmosis that has made you, the, the God goes where he is wanted. And if, you, if I don't want, if we don't want him in our homes and in our workplaces, and we don't want to know him more and get to know him and change our lives, because that's how a relationship works, then we're never going to see the impact that we read. We're never going to see revival if it doesn't begin here first. As we close out our time together, I want to tell you, I believe that what we're reading here is still happening today that there is spiritual revival happening in this room, in people's lives, that there is spiritual revival happening in people, like I mentioned, John Gammon and, and Eric Maitland and others, but I wonder how many more are spiritual giants awakening to the reality of not only of Jesus Christ, but have the audacity and the humility to want to get to know him with desperation because God goes where he is wanted. And if you are here today and you felt like because you haven't known God long or because you have some stuff in your life that you're embarrassed of and ashamed of, that you couldn't become one of those people that God could use in a mighty, powerful way. I want to tell you, the book of Acts says it's actually when we get the heart that that kind of transformation could occur, that explosive Christianity rapidly expands. And if there are some people here who want to have revival in their soul first, can I get real for a second? Like, here's what I've realized in my own life. 20 years ago, when I grew up as a kid, church was super boring. Amen? And then like something happened in the last 20 years, church wasn't boring anymore, but, but we can also do something where we kind of overhype it and we become consumerist Christians that, that choose churches and, and whether to follow God based off of consumeristic things of, you know, did the sermon uh, please me today? Did the children's check-in have a timely process? Did I find parking in the parking lot in a quick manner? When I got into my seat, was it easy to find? Did the, did the lights, were they nice and appropriate for worship? Just the right amount of haze, not too much haze or not enough haze, like that I felt good enough about that, that I was pleased enough that I could go home and reattend. Guys, we're never going to see revival like that. It's only going to happen when it starts here. And some of us need to start. Pray with me. God, I admit I need it. God, many of us here today, we have known about you. We have been around you. We've even served you at times in our life. But the complacency spiritual in our life is disgusting. 
the way that we behave, God, the enemy loves. And instead this morning, we come to you with all humility and repent that we have not called on you with great desperation, Lord. We want you here. We welcome you here. We open our lives to you. Those in the room who, who are far from you, God, who are, who are dealing with sexual addiction, who are dealing with drugs and alcohol, who are dealing with anger and violence, who are dealing with hatred and all kinds of things from past relationships and brokenness. God, we admit that we need you. We repent of our sin. We invite you in fully to our lives. And if you're here today and you would like to say enough is enough, I want to start having revival in my own soul. Pray this with me. God, this morning, I believe and receive your grace and forgiveness for the way that I've been living. I repent of it, God. I invite you fully in. And on this day, August 21st, 2022, I commit everything in my life to your Lordship. My time, my talents, my treasures. Use me, Lord Jesus, to be a difference maker, a world changer, God, to reach those who are far from you. You go where you are wanted and you are wanted here in my life. Love you, Jesus. We give you everything. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen. Amen.